This is My Rain Gauge is Busted, a podcast produced by Agriculture Victoria. I'm Ethan, and here we talk about all things climate and farming. In this episode, we explore the negative Indian Ocean Dipole, one of the best-known givers of northwest cloud bands. The Indian Ocean Dipole is a relatively newly understood climate driver, so we caught up with Dale Gray, who has been watching the IOD become more prevalent in climate communication since the Saji et al. paper in 1999 been with the department uh, some 25 years now, I think, so a bit of a fossil. Been working in climate more than 15 years, mainly in the region of looking at, at climate forecasting and seasonal climate indicators and the stasis of the oceans and such like. And yeah, it was kind of around at the time that the Indian Ocean Dipole first became a climate driver that people were suddenly talking about and thinking could be important. Myself and my colleagues were up at a, a climate conference up in Canberra and Dr. Peter McIntosh from CSIRO Atmospherics uh, from Hobart, he was presenting some data where him and his colleague Gary Myers, Dr. Gary Myers, who was also at Hobart CSIRO, had categorised uh, the years where this phenomena called the Indian Ocean Dipole had appeared and also El Nino and La Nina for that matter. And so there was this list of years that you could look at and it was the first time I think that we'd even heard of such a phenomenon called the Indian Ocean Dipole. So we were on a fairly quick learning curve there. Yeah, it was... It- became possible to use that list of years to get out your Excel spreadsheet and look at rainfall and discover that, lo and behold, the Indian Ocean Dipole had appeared to have been affecting rainfall across Victoria, or in many regions in southeastern Australia for that matter, much the same that El Nino and La Nina had been also affecting the rainfall. Like any new research, the findings caused a lot of interest and a bit of discussion. It was interesting because at that time, there was probably a fair bit of scepticism in the part of most people that El Nino and La Nina were even something of any note in Victoria. I think there were people who probably thought that they didn't affect the climate all that much. It was a Queensland thing. And so for those people to suddenly hear that there was a climate driver in the Indian Ocean where everyone thought their rainfall came from was an attractive thing for a lot of people because it was telling them what they wanted to hear, I suppose. What has panned out in the fullness of time is that absolutely El Nino and La Nina are very critical things in Victoria. They absolutely affect our climate and the Indian Ocean Dipole does as well. And what is interesting, I'm I'm sure we'll discuss, is how that sometimes they act together in those roles. They're uh, sometimes tag team at getting up to mischief. People had been noticing things called northwest cloud bands, and that's when you see this big stream of cloud coming in from, you know, anywhere from Shark Bay up to Broome. It's coming in from the northwest. And when they're good, they come right through the centre of Australia, through, you know, Alice Springs and Cooper Pedy, and they come down into Victoria. I, I think simplistically, many people, when they view those cloud bands, make the assumption that moisture is coming down that northwest cloud band and it's coming from the Indian Ocean because that's where the cloud is coming from. Now, what it turns out is that visibly seeing cloud is just the manifestation of, of the atmospheric processes in the sky, which allow moisture in the atmosphere to be visible. What it doesn't show you is where the invisible moisture that's up there in the tropics is coming from to form that northwest cloud band. What has been shown is that the moisture in that northwest cloud band may well have come out of the 
at the Coral Sea over in the Pacific Ocean and worked its way through the top of Australia and then got hooked down in the northwest cloud band and the pressure and the temperatures are right for that to form cloud and it, it looks like it's streaming out of the Indian Ocean and the cloud is streaming out of there but the moisture may have come from something else. Now what the Indian Ocean Dipole has been shown to do is that there are a couple of phases that we call it positive and negative Indian Ocean Dipole and the negative Indian Ocean Dipole tends to be a switcher on of those northwest cloud bands and the positive Indian Ocean dipole tends to switch them off. And so in many cases, it's it's really that kind of mechanism of transporting moisture down. Who knows where the moisture's come from, but the mechanism of transporting it down to us seems to be being controlled by this Indian Ocean dipole phenomenon. Dale explained that there are two specific regions in the Indian Ocean that Saji et al. defined. So we have these imaginary boxes that are sitting, in the case of Sumatra, we have a box that's sitting 10 degrees below the equator, and it's measuring the temperature in a box just below the island of Sumatra. Over off the coast of Africa, in fact, off the coast of Somalia and Kenya, almost up to the Horn of Africa, we have a box that's twice the size of that Sumatran box, and it sets uh, plus or minus 10 degrees of latitude either side of the equator. So what we're doing is we're monitoring the temperature in those two boxes. And unlike El Nino and La Nina, the threshold in the difference between temperature of those boxes is much smaller for positive and negative IOD. So the threshold is deemed to be somewhere when it's greater or less than negative or positive 0.4 degrees Celsius. So negative IOD events, uh, at least in Australia, are categorised by the dipole mode index, the DMI. That's the fancy term we use for the difference in temperature between that box of ocean off Sumatra and the box off Africa. And when that's been less than negative 0.4, more negative than that, for a period of eight weeks, that's normally when we would classify a negative IOD year. It can't be just sort of a flash in the pan. It's got to be around for a couple of months. And that's the one thing that characterises negative IODs and, and positive IODs for that matter. They are a phenomena that can be around for two or three months, whereas most events in the Pacific Ocean would last a lot longer than that. The thing that many people find confusing is that a negative IOD generally has positive outcomes for southeastern Australia. Well, we have this strange thing that the negative IOD was clearly not named by Australians. Oddly, if you were going to be naming it for Australia, you've got to flip that on your head and go, there's plenty that's positive about the negative IODs. Often the bringer of rainfall and the sort of sister cousin of La Nina in the Pacific. It was discovered in 1999 by uh, the Japanese, Saji et al. They put out their paper. And then uh, people from the US, from NOAA, Webster et al., they put out a paper at the same time. And they'd all observed very interesting things happening in the Indian Ocean in 1998. It was a very strong positive IOD as well as an El Nino that year. But the Japanese gave it that negative thing, really because the difference between the temperatures in those boxes, when the temperature difference is negative, that's the negative phase of the IOD, but um, we don't know as much about it as we do about El Nino and La Nina. One of the best examples of a negative IOD year is 2016, one that many will remember as very wet over large parts of Australia. 
2016 would be the most recent negative IOD of note. It was just a negative IOD event by itself. Then we'd go back to 2010 was the next one, but that was coupled up with a, a La Nina in the Pacific Ocean. Then we could go back to 1992 was the last time we had a very strong negative IOD previous to that 2016 one. And then we could go back to, say, 1974, where some people might remember, which was also one of those classic double-up events of a La Nina and a negative IOD combined. Humans are beasts of their memory. As soon as you hear the word negative IOD, you kind of think about that. It'd be the same as if you mentioned La Nina, people would think of 2010, 11 and 12 uh, and the really incredibly wet summers people had there and the fact that there were floods. And of course, the reality is that not all negative IODs have in fact been like that. There's occasionally negative IODs that have been um, quite dry. And uh, in fact, 1943, which is a fair while ago, was was an El Nino-like negative IOD. It was really quite a poor, poor year over much of um, Victoria. Like all the climate drivers, uh, sometimes the absolute opposite occurs. But with the case of the negative IOD, it, it normally it really does spin up greater chances of it being a wetter spring, and but sometimes a winter as well. It's interesting because there is an area of Victoria and southeast South Australia where, at least in our historic record of over 110 years, there's areas there that have never, ever, ever had a dry spring when it's been a negative IOD. It's either been wetter or average. And nowhere else can you really see a climate driver in Australia that has had that effect. There's nearly always the opposite appearing somewhere. It might only be one year in the record. Sometimes it's two or three or four. But uh, yeah, that southwest quarter of Victoria, I say that quite broadly. It's sort of from, you know, Hopeton, Longanong, across to Wedderburn, Warwick, Nabeel, down to uh, Hamilton, Warrnambool, Portland, um, and then over to places like Mount Gambier and Robe and even uh, Border Town and Keith in South Australia. So that southeast corner. Yeah, really amazing thing that a climate driver has never, ever been dry in those zones. So therefore, you know, those people, they're probably, anytime there's talk of one, I suppose they're getting quite excited because historically it has probably been a pretty good year in those times. The rest of us though, um, we would need to be keeping in the back of our mind that occasionally negative IODs are not all beer and Skittles and sometimes they have been drier, but they are more likely to give wetter conditions than La Nina statistically. You more likely have odds of anywhere from sort of 50 to 75% of being in the wettest third of records for your spring rainfall. Most La Nina's places, locations would be about 50%, but the negative IOD spins up the odds even perhaps a bit more than that. So if we've got 75, then there's sort of a 10, 15% chance of it being normal rainfall and sort of 5, 10% chances of it being in the driest third of records. Which brings us to perhaps regions of Victoria where the negative ID may not historically have had much influence. And that brings us to East Gippsland. So there's a really good reason for this. It's because the negative ID is the best known giver of Northwest cloud bands. Poor old East Gippsland to the Northwest is sheltered by the Great Divide. So this climate driver, the negative IOD, sends moisture from the northwest, which lights up the areas to the north of the Great Divide with greater chance of rainfall. 
but tends to... Now, I shouldn't say it misses out in East Gippsland. It's just that statistically, the chances of rainfall fall out very close to climatology. You know, a third of the negative IOD years have been wet. And clearly, even though that northwest pattern's been there, the Great Divide has not been enough to stop it. But a third of the time, negative IODs in East Gippsland have been normal rainfall. And a third of the time, they've actually been quite dry, which might be perhaps those weaker negative IODs where they came down and they were unable to get over the divide uh, and cause it to, to rain too much in spring. So you're probably thinking, what exactly do we need to see to have a negative IOD? And what is happening in the oceans and atmosphere? Essentially, to have a negative IOD, you have to have warmer water at the surface in that Sumatran area. And you need to have at least normal, but preferably cooler water over off the African region. And the reason this is important is because this then starts an ocean atmosphere feedback mechanism, because that warmer water off the coast of Indonesia, off Sumatra, evaporates more atmospheric moisture upwards. There's lower pressure in that area. We would therefore foresee more cloud building up in that region. We're seeing the trade winds accentuating and swinging and sucking into that uplift zone around Indonesia. So the westerly uh, trade winds increase as they're coming from halfway across the Indian Ocean over Indonesia. The other thing, of course, is that we have much warmer ocean to depth off the island of Sumatra. And so that gives us some of the predictability to the negative in the ocean dipole when you can detect a large amount of warm water at depth as a result of the Argo floats that are going up and down every uh, week in those areas, picking up much warmer water to depth. And so that's what we see this year in the, in a potential negative IOD event that we have here in 2021. There's a really large amount of warmer water to depth which the models can see. And if there's some sort of disturbance that gets some of that water to up well, that can help to potentially uh, kick off and hold the negative IOD. Of course, what we see off the coast of Africa is the exact opposite of that. We start to see air that's falling, it's denser, it's got less moisture. So we get higher pressure and colder water over off the coast of Africa. We see a lack of cloud and we see the wind moving away from that area and over towards Indonesia. We may even see colder water to depth off the coast of Africa as well, so that what's coming to the surface is cooler too. Many different forces can be acting on the Indian Ocean, which can either help to kick off a negative IOD or work against it. We see a lot of negative IODs coupled up with La Niña's. And for this reason, scientists believe that the Pacific Ocean is possibly talking to the Indian Ocean. I'm using the word talking in inverted commas because clearly it isn't talking. But it is acting on the Indian Ocean. The only way it can really do that is through those little gaps through the islands of Indonesia. And particularly, there's a gap that's in between the island of Sumatra and Java. And if there's a large pool of warm water that's sitting as a result of La Nina in the Western Pacific, that can be dribbling warmer water through that Indonesian throughput gap and have it coming out in the box of ocean where we look for the negative IOD. So that's clearly another mechanism as to how a negative IOD can form. Negative ID formation is a bit more of a dark art because it is just an accentuation of the normal phase, much the same as La Nina is an accentuation of the normal pattern in the Pacific Ocean. Whereas uh, the positive IOD and El Nino in the Pacific, for that matter, are abrupt reversals of the normal pattern, which are normally kicked off by you know something weird happening with a bit less predictability. Whereas the negative IOD seems to have a lot less 
mechanisms for forming, uh, or at least if we don't know about them, if there are more of them. So the, the Indian Ocean is not as deep as the Pacific. The Pacific is some many kilometres deep. Much of the Indian Ocean is not as deep as that. And it doesn't have the long reach of wind between the land masses that the Pacific Ocean does as well. And so for that reason, the Indian Ocean is, is liable to get affected by disturbances much quicker. So for instance, we don't see Indian Ocean dipoles occurring over the northern monsoon season. So you know, somewhere from, let's say, November through to April. We don't see Indian Ocean dipoles as a rule occurring at that time because the tropical processes of the Madden-Julian Oscillation and things like that going up there simply disturb that ocean up so much that even if it wanted to form a pattern like that, it just breaks down too quickly. So we tend to see them forming between the months of May to November, but normally May to October. One of the interesting things about the Indian Ocean, since observations have been collected, is the increase in ocean temperatures. Of course, what's interesting is the whole Indian Ocean basin has been slowly warming up, perhaps more so than some of the other oceans in the world. On average, it's sort of warmed by about 0.6 of a degree. Interestingly, though, the very centre of the Indian Ocean has warmed by one degree, which actually really quite a large amount. And that's happened in the last sort of 40 to 60 years. What we've seen in the last 20 years is a lot more positive IODs than the negative IODs. There's been a lot of positive IODs. And whether that's because the ocean has warmed up more uh, and whether that central Indian is having an influence of it probably remains to be seen. But yeah, all those positive IODs haven't been uh, a real bonus. So negative IOD events, uh, we had a strong event in 92, we had a weak one in 96, but then we didn't see anything until 2010. So there was something like 14 years there between actual negative IOD events. That was a pretty long patch of time to go without one. Uh, and then 2010 wasn't overly exciting either in terms of its negative IOD. It was a pretty weak kind of event. It was much more of a La Nina year that year. And so 92 was a very strong event. It was really 2016 where we got the proper first really strong negative IOD by itself, which is a really long time uh, between negative IOD drinks there, whereas many more positive IODs in that period. And of course, that's when we have colder water off the island of Sumatra and much warmer water off Africa. And of course, the problem is because the Indian Ocean has had a lot of warmer water in it, there seems to have been this sort of perpetual abundance of warmer water, particularly over on the African coastline. So it would look like to get Actual cold water off Africa is something that I've not really seen that greatly. But fortunately, at least, I suppose an actual proper negative IOD doesn't seem to be predicated on absolutely the water having to be colder on Africa. It's the differential. As long as you've got really warm water somewhere and normal water somewhere else, that's enough to drive the differential in temperature and a difference in the evaporation and the wind changes and the cloud and the pressure changes still occur. So that's probably the comforting thing, I suppose. But the more worrying thing is that this warmer Indian Ocean just seems to be drifting more towards, or it just makes it easier, it seemingly does, to cause positive IODs to occur, at least in the last 20 or so years. As Dale has explained, a negative IOD can actually be a positive for southeastern Australia, but no two negative IOD events are the same. While they do spin up the odds of things being wetter, it can also be dry. We greatly appreciate Dale's willingness to spend time with us in this episode to explain the negative Indian Ocean dipole. You can find more helpful links in the show notes and you can get in contact with us at the.break at 
agriculture.vic.gov.au. See you next time. O-S-O-I-N-S-S-T's And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get the break. Oh, this bloke Dale, he's a ridgy ditch. He knows about the subtropical ridge. The science comes in a secret code. But he knows about the southern annular mode. Well, this SST anomaly lead us to a death cell of 1, 2, 3. The Nino 3 and Nino 3.4. Well, I've never heard of these terms before about SOINSSTs. And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date and get the break. Or keep your eyes out for Enso. Will it rain then? If so, when so? The farmers need you to be specific. What's happening out in the Pacific? Well, westerly wind bursts blow away all our hopes of that rainy day. And will this year bring an El Nino? Come on, tell us, Dale, because we have to know about it. SOIs and SSDs. Thank you for listening to My Rain Gauge is Busted. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria.